stand for the reading of today's gospel. Today I'll be reading two passages, uh, Matthew 19, verses 16 through 30, as well as Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Moving to Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, 
Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for a people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Pastor Steve. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, choir members, and great to have you here. Uh, happy Palm Sunday, everybody, and uh, so great to be with you. And some of you are here for the first time in a year or more to worship. If that's you, would you just raise your hand, kind of give us a wave? Thank you so much. And I also want to welcome you who are also worshiping with us online. I want you to know I love you all. And uh, as Russ was saying, we've got a lot going on this Holy Week, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Easter Sunday, and uh, looking forward to sharing it with you. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, we want to know you. We want to grasp the meaning of your life, your death, your resurrection, and what it means for us and for this world. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. Kind Father, pour out your spirit upon us Fill us anew. Let your word penetrate our resistance. Melt our hardened hearts so that we may rejoice in your amazing grace. And all God's people said, amen. My fifth grade teacher did something that, uh, I mean, it was kind of shocking now to think about, but it was kind of occult. Uh, she gave palm readings to all her students. And it kind of scared me because she said, I didn't have a very long lifeline. And as a kid, it you know, kind of freaked me out, and I thought, maybe I'm not going to live very long. Uh, so I don't recommend palm reading, but I do wonder, do palm readers celebrate Palm Sunday? And what about the people of Palm Beach? Is Palm Sunday, Sunday their patron holiday? Well, it could be. It should be. And what if just for the day, uh, the NCAA made a new basketball rule allowing dribblers to palm the ball? They do it in the NBA all the time. And it is Palm Sunday. Well, of course, we know that Palm Sunday is not about psychic readings or beaches or basketball. It's about waving branches, riding a donkey, and turning the hose on your Aunt Anna. Hose, Anna. <laughs> I had an Aunt Anna, by the way, just, but I digress. Lent began five and a half weeks ago on Ash Wednesday, and that's when we started our series, This is Jesus. We've been walking through one of the Bible's biographies about Jesus called the Gospel according to Matthew. And uh, Jesus, uh, his Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem is found in Matthew chapter 21. And then uh, later when they're all inside Jerusalem and into the temple courtyard, the children began shouting what they heard the adults saying there out on the path to the city. Uh, Hosanna to the son of David. David was Israel's king a thousand years earlier, and everybody knew that the promised king, the Messiah, would come from the line of David. And then 
Jesus did another Messiah kind of thing. He demonstrated against corruption in the temple. Remember him knocking over the tables of the money changers? He wanted the temple to be the kind of house it should always have been, a house of prayer. His demonstration was popular with the people, but hated by the aristocrats and and merchants who were profiting from the arrangements in the temple. They put profit above prayer. Jesus had no problem with the proper use of money, but he could also see that most people worshiped it. Cash was their king, and God was not. But Jesus said that in the new kingdom, with God in charge, those values get flipped upside down. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, forget about trying to please two bosses. Have you ever had to do that? Try to please two bosses? He said, it's impossible. So pick your master. Who will it be, God or money? He also says something that in the Sermon on the Mount that still makes me uncomfortable. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, which will never last, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, which will last forever. So how do we store up treasures in heaven? Well, he made it clear by giving, by being generous with people in need. So here's my question. Lord, am I storing up treasures on earth? I have a savings account. I have a retirement fund. What, it, what does Jesus want me to do? I don't want to follow him just when it's easy to follow him. I, if I'm going to follow him, I want to do it all the way. And I also know that I have this uncanny ability to rationalize whatever I want. Don't we all? Huh? It would be easy to twist Jesus' words and make him say what I want him to say. And then I'd end up worshiping money instead of God. You know, it's it's like Charlemagne's army of the Franks in the Middle Ages. It's been reported that when members of his army were baptized uh, into the Christian faith, they were immersed into the water, but each soldier held his right hand out of the water. Why? Because that was his sword hand. He didn't want his sword hand to be converted to Christ. He wanted to use it so he could kill freely. Anything that we hold back from being converted to Christ, that's our idol. That's what we worship. Lord, you can have all of me except my credit cards, (laughs) because I want to spend freely. But Jesus' people, we are God's counterculture. We are living the kingdom life. You know, I want to share with you uh, today the heart of the message, but first I need to preface it. As always, I am preaching to myself. That's, that's when When I create a message, that's the first thing I'm, I'm preaching to myself. But today I do so in particular as a middle-class person who currently lives comfortably and can pay my bills on time. So with that in mind, here it is. 
As Jesus' disciple, I hold the things of this world with such an open hand that I always practice lifestyle borrowing, lifestyle, lifestyle lowering generosity, which means lowering my generosity, not yours, right? Lowering my lifestyle by being generous, and I'm ready to give it all up if he asks me to. Now, for some of you here in this church, I'm praying that God's going to elevate your income. Elevate your, your lifestyle a bit so you can pay your bills, provide for your family, bring you to the point where you can be generous. And I mean, but still, just look at it. That's radical stuff, isn't it? So I'm going to ask you, will you try it on for size so we say it together? As Jesus' disciple, I hold the things of this world with such an open hand that I always practice lifestyle-lowering generosity, and I'm ready to give it all up if he asks me to. Now, today's scripture that Russ read for us uh, contains some of the most extreme things that Jesus said about uh, money, wealth, possessions. And it starts with this conversation in Matthew 19, verse 16, begins this way. Then, just then, a man came up to Jesus. Later in the story, we learn that this man is young and he's rich. I picture him wearing designer clothes and driving a limited series Lamborghini. I imagine his family is wealthy and he works in the family business. But the rich young man isn't here to talk about business. He has a faith question for Rabbi Jesus. The young man wants to get to eternal life. He's already uh, acquired the rewards of this life, and now he wants to acquire the rewards of the next life. It says, just then, man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This guy, look at him, he's a doer. He wants to get it done, do what's required. And, and uh, you have to admire his eternal perspective here. He wants to know what's it going to take. What does God expect? Today, uh, somebody might ask, well, what do I have to do so that I can get to heaven when I die? You know, you might be uh, surprised to find that, that the Bible doesn't put it quite like that. Going to heaven when you die. It does say that those who belong to Jesus will be with him when they die, and Jesus is in heaven. So heaven is our, our, our first stop after death. But the ultimate future that God is preparing for us is, is going to be then the newly united heaven and earth, and that is where we will receive our, our physical resurrection bodies. And this young man, he wants to get in on that in this future that God is preparing for us, there must be something he can do to earn his spot, he thinks. Maybe he can make a sizable donation to the Galilean food bank. Maybe he can work on weekends at Habitat for Hebrews. There must be something he can do. Jesus tells them that if that they, he wants to enter eternal life in the age to come, that he must live a godly life starting with keeping 
God's commandments. And I would say that not only means obeying the Ten Commandments, but also Jesus' interpretation of them. Uh, Obey Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where the commandment against adultery includes not lusting. And the commandment against murder uh, includes not insulting, and so on. So, we, we saw it in the Scripture reading. Jesus lists five of the Ten Commandments as examples and adds, love your neighbor as yourself for good measure. And how does the young man respond? Verse 20, all these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? I mean, I read that, I go, how could he be so confident that he's kept all the commandments? Maybe it's no accident that it's at this point that we find out that he's young. Maybe he hasn't practiced enough self-reflection yet to realize how short we humans can sometimes fall. It's like when the accusers of the woman caught in adultery uh, ask Jesus what they should do, and Jesus says, let the one who is without sin throw the first stone. You all know that story. And here's the interesting part. One by one, her accusers walk away, beginning with the oldest. Isn't that, isn't that something? The oldest knew they were not without sin. And then Jesus lays a bomb on the rich young uh, man in verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, so Jesus is about to raise the stakes Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus raises the bar of righteousness, and he says, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Don't just go halfway. Don't settle uh, for, for just partway there. Set your sights on the whole thing. Now, the kind of perfection Jesus is talking about isn't a hopelessly impossible ideal. It can also be translated, be completely mature. In your life, in your faith, be completely mature. It means living as a faithful follower of Jesus. It means living God's kingdom. So here's the whole thing in verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. And he doesn't mean just some of those possessions. Jesus means for him to sell all of it. Life on the road following Jesus, there, there won't be room for any of that stuff. They travel light. They share what they have. They trust God to provide along the way. The four fishermen did that. They walked away from their boats and their nets to follow Jesus. James and John left their father to run the fishing business by himself. Another person who followed Jesus like that was a guy named Francis. Francis was um, the son of a prosperous silk merchant in, in, in uh, Italy. He was a rich young man, much like the one who came up to Jesus. He was, Francis was handsome, and witty, loved fine clothes. One day, he was selling uh, cloth to a customer in the market, 
And when a beggar came up to him and asked for a coin or two, and as soon as he concluded business, uh, the sale with the customer, Francis ran after the beggar. And when he caught up with him, Francis just opened his pockets and just gave him all the money that he had on him. Um, later, his friends teased him about doing that. And his father scolded him harshly. After that, young Francis joined the army and ended up spending about a year as a POW. He also became seriously ill and began reflecting and reevaluating his life. When he returned home, he no longer found the carefree life appealing. God was calling him to something else. Francis renounced his wealth. Some say that he stripped himself naked and walked out of town. A priest gave him a robe, a simple robe to cover himself, and uh, Francis began the work of restoring ruined chapels in the area. And, and, and then uh, in time, a few others joined Francis of Assisi in his holy life of poverty, and they began the order of the Franciscan monks in 1210 A.D. But most people, most of us who follow Jesus won't be asked to give away everything like St. Francis did. And that's okay. When I read the Gospels, here's what I believe Jesus expects of me, which brings us back to the heart of the message. As, a disciple, as Jesus' disciple, I hold the things of this world with such an open hand that I always practice lifestyle-lowering generosity, and I'm ready to give it all up if he asks me to. This rich young man is the only person in the Bible that Jesus tells to sell everything. He doesn't tell Zacchaeus, the rich tax collector, to do that. Instead, what we find is that Zacchaeus uh, voluntarily gives away half of his wealth and he pays back those he has cheated plus the penalty for stealing. So I imagine he came pretty close to giving a, most of it or nearly all of it up. But Jesus does not require him to liquidate and donate everything. And we, as we read the Gospels, we find that Jesus is enjoying the hospitality of his friends in their homes. People like sisters Martha and Mary, he doesn't tell them to sell their house. He's perfectly happy to be in their house with them. So, and instead, they practice generosity by using their house for God's kingdom. After Jesus' resurrection... Uh, a man called Barnabas does what he sees some other Jesus people doing. He owns a field. He sees his, a lot of his sisters and brothers in Christ in need. So what does he do? He sells the field, and he gives the proceeds to the leaders of the church who are, who are caring for those who are poor. The way I look at it, if all of us, got rid of all of our money and possessions, then we'd all be poor, and I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Life 
with no possessions is ideal if you're on the road with Jesus or have some other kind of special calling. But it's no way to raise a family, is it? Earlier in chapter 19, Jesus talks about marriage, and you know he values it, and he, he values children. And, and you have to provide for the needs of your family. And remember, even Jesus and his disciples had a treasurer. You ever thought about that? He wasn't a very good one, but, but they, had a, they had a treasurer, uh, which means they had at least a little bit of money to cover some of their basic needs. Methodism's founder, John Wesley, seemed to understand what Jesus was talking about, and I love the really simple way he laid it out in his sermon called The Use of Money. You can look it up online. The Use of Money. Wesley makes three points. First, gain all you can, which means all you can earn honestly and without hurting yourself or others. Second, save all you can. And he's not talking about hoarding it. He means not spending it lavishly. And third, give all you can. So that was his, that was his model of, of the use of money. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Simple. So what happened to the rich young man? Verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Or you could translate it, he had many possessions. He did not follow Jesus because he would not give up his idol. He had a master, and he didn't want a new one. Last month, I traded in my nine-year-old car for a three-year-old car. And I've never had a car that I enjoyed as much as this one. It's a, it's a plug-in hybrid, which means that uh, when I'm driving around town, usually just to the office and back and a few other places, it's like an electric car. And then when I go for a lo longer drive, it's a, it's a hybrid. And uh, I'm quite fond of it. <laughs> How do I know if my car has become too important for me? important to me. Well, I don't have a foolproof answer for that. I, I have to do some soul searching. You know what that's like. But I've owned enough cars to believe that I, I could give it up and drive a beater. I've driven beaters a whole lot of my life. But for now, I'm going to keep driving it and be thankful. I remember years ago, one of our kids was in middle school and happened to see the weekly check that we were bringing to church that coming Sunday. Why are we giving away so much? Think of what we could do with that money. It was a sacrifice. Back then, we were budgeting very tightly. Trish and I, didn't, we didn't argue with it. We just said, that's what we do. So, this is something that I've been trying to practice for a long time, and so have many of you. And I know I haven't done it perfectly. As Jesus' disciple, I hold 
the things of this world with such an open hand that I always practice lifestyle-lowering generosity, and I'm ready to give it all up if he asks me to. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, uh, you, know, you know how easy it is for us to worship wealth, to make it our idol. We confess that we find ourselves craving comforts, status, and privilege. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Help us that we may seek your kingdom first. Gracious God, give us hearts that worship you alone. Open our hearts to those who need the lift that our generosity could bring. Lord, give us ambition to gain all we can, wisdom to save all we can, and love to give all we can. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.